What is going on, guys? Welcome into the sit-down here presented by Duff's Famous Wings on the Built-in Buffalo Network's Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And I am your host, as always, here in the sit-down Saturday nights, the Buffalo Sauce God, on Twitter and on other social media platforms, at Buffalo Sauce God. And joined here with my co-host, the one and only, the good-looking, the one that studies so hard in the offseason, Mafia Montage. How are we doing this weekend? Bill's Mafia, how you doing? Sauce God, we're doing really good. I'm uh, excited to be here, really glad and proud to be here, and let's get rolling, baby. To the sit down here presented by Duff's Famous Wings on Built in Buffalo, uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I am the Buffalo Sauce God. If you guys have not already done so, smash that like button, get in, uh, get in the comment section ASAP. And also, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to that YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter, and let's get it going in the comments. And I want to make a quick reminder montage that the comments that get super chatted on YouTube are going to be 100% highlighted. So if you have questions for us, if you have anything you want to get shouted out on the show here in the sit down, then hit that super chat on YouTube. And of course, montage, before we bring in our special guest, it is the countdown to the 2023 NFL regular season's first game. And that is 151 days away. It is taking forever, but montage, doesn't it feel like we're finally creeping up on some NFL action? Yeah, man, it's so close to the draft, and I just can't wait for this to happen because it's going to put a lot of questions to bed, a lot of speculation out there for the last several months, and really since the season ended. Um, you know, we have Stefan Diggs out on social media still, uh, you know, keeping his name fresh in, in the Twitter feeds and all that stuff. So uh, interesting stuff in the offseason, but much rather talk about how this team's going to shape out and kind of more of the roster makeup as the draft happens and things like that. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. So who do we got coming in today? Let's do you well, want to welcome this montage, guy? Let me give him a quick introduction. That would be, of course, none other than QB Sneaks host. Uh, his name is something that I like to just say tuned in with Mike Shimbersky because Mike Shimbersky is also the host of the Bills about the Built in Buffalo's official pregame show known as the Tailgate Live. And let's go ahead, Montage. Let's bring in our special guest here, Mursky. Happy Easter weekend, brother. How are we doing, Mike? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, uh, you can find me on the QB Sneak and the Tailgate. I do the Tailgate with uh, the Buffalo Sauce guy uh, right here. Um, you know, Mike and I have actually had some, uh, we've had quite a few fun shows, you know, where we crack open a cold one. And also too, Mike and I have talked about getting him on the sit down. So 
I'm actually really pumped that you finally had some time and we had uh, some availability to bring you on here. So, Mike, welcome into the sit down. Guys, keep those chats uh, flowing in the comments because montage, we've got ourselves a kick ass show here for Easter weekend. So let's get it started. We got some questions for you, uh, Mike, so that people here in the sit down can get to know you a little bit and some questions that are relevant to what is currently going on with the Bills. Because now here's the thing. Mike evaluates the QB position like like truly like he's basically the he's he's John Gruden. It's it's the quarterback room of Mikey Sh- Mikey Shimberski, you know and I'm saying. So you bring a different different perspective to it. And I think that that's something I kind of look forward to because you and Montage have very analytical perspectives. So we might see some differing opinions. We might see some same ones. So Bill's Mafia, we could develop our own conclusions. So Montage, I see you got the first one here uh, from, I I believe this is coming from a fan, but uh, go ahead and get us started off here. Yeah, so uh, Sauce got touched on a little bit, but... uh... What do you think the biggest need is for the Bills in free agency or in the draft right now? I think the biggest need right now, uh, I think you got to look on the defensive side of the ball because you you let Tremaine Edmonds walk. And, I mean, we can argue that was a good good decision or it was a bad, but to be honest with you, you still got to fill that void. I think that's where you go. You try to fill that gap in with a – they might think that they have it on the roster right now, but I really think you you can find a solid linebacker in this draft. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, I think um, you may be told or you may hear from Brandon Bean and them that they do have Terrell Bernard and um, Dodson's come back now and then Balen Spector. Uh, but I think I can agree with you and, and uh, I want to see what Sauce God thinks here too. I mean, so as Mike mentioned, Sauce God, you know, there's three linebackers on the roster, mostly special teams players so far. You know, what do you think about those three competing for a starting job on our defense versus trying to bring another uh, linebacker in through the draft? I mean, here's the thing is that Balen Specter raised a few eyebrows in preseason last year. And I mean, is that enough to necessarily garner uh, true like starting opportunity? I'm not sure. But this is, again, a primarily defensive-minded team because Sean McDermott's a defensive-minded guy, so maybe he does see something within him. Let's not act like Sean McDermott hasn't coached some really great linebackers in this league, dating back to Luke Keekley. Um, what's his name? Uh, from Also, too, um, number 58 for the Carolina Panthers as well. I forget, I can't. I'm Tom Davis. Just blanking on it. But other than that, Matt Milano as well for the Bills. And then Tremaine Edmonds, obviously earning a lucrative contract with the Chicago Bears. So maybe this is something that they truly see, but maybe they're just unsure of what they want to do with that 27th overall pick. And that's what something is uh, we're actually going to touch on quite a bit because there's a lot of rumors lately. But, uh, Mike, the next question I actually got for you, my friend, is um, – what do you think of the latest rumors that the Bills are actually interested in trading up from the t- number 27th overall pick in the, the first round? Uh, you know, I think that Brandon Bean's good when it comes to this kind of stuff. He doesn't give away the the house when it comes to these kind of trades. If he is looking to move up, that means that they have a prospect in mind that is truly they find valuable. Uh, I think if they're really going to do it, you know, there's a reason for it. And there's a guy they're really interested in. They're afraid that he will not be available at the time that they want him, uh, thinking he won't fall to the 27th pick. Uh, and I really do think it's a linebacker. I know that uh, now at the top of my head, the two linebackers that I am interested in 
I, I read on both of them. I wish I knew their names right off the top of my head, but I'm sure Jack Campbell's got to be one board. of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, those guys, they're not sure. I'm sure that though, though Brandon's probably thinking to himself, you know, if I got to make a move to get this guy, I just might uh, only because you don't want to lose out on the possibility of completing a defense that is kind of on, they're on the brink of being a really solid crew. I mean, each, each year, each season, they've been solid. Uh, and you want to keep that continuity, you know, of having a good solid defense to complement this offense. And, and that's your chance right there. And so they might want to move up, even if it's to like, I don't know, pick 14, uh, you know, or a little bit midway through there, but like sitting at 27th, some of the picks that you get towards the end of that draft or the end of the first round, you know, you're almost picking second rounders at that point. Sure. I mean, like when you really look at it at the end of the first round, the typical talent that we're seeing that is still like, you know, a high talent, like a high rated prospect is defensive backs. Um, Linebackers is another one though, too. So, I mean, at 27th overall, like I could see the bills like being, like seeing the value of that number 27th overall pick. And I'm sure Montage will have some more comments on this too, because I think that there is a likelihood, and I've said this, and I've had like this inner feeling, this gut feeling that there is a possibility that they are going to try and move up because they are still kind of all in, you know what I mean? Like right now we, we have to really step up and we have to get the position that we feel we need the most. And we have to get the guy that we feel we need the most. And if that's somebody where we have to sacrifice some capital, I could see it happening. I mean, just because we are conservative in ways, right? We have seen them do what it takes to move up in the draft and also move up again. I mean, Brandon Bean is, is a wizard. All It's just psychological games that they got to play amongst each other as GMs. Montage, what do you think basically of these latest rumors? Yeah, it's going to be the right position for me. I think it's – I wanted to address this comment too is, um, you know – Trey's coming in saying right tackle and then defense tackle are our biggest needs. And he's elaborating on the right tackle position here. Um, So I think the um, ability for McDermott and Bean to negotiate and trade will hopefully help us fill both the tackle and the linebacker position in the second round is what I'm hoping, because I think that if you can get back to the beginning of the second round, pick up your tackle or pick up your um, linebacker there and then get your tackle at 59, hopefully, or potentially trade back from 27, but then trade up from 59 and, you know, get it, get two picks within 30 to 45 or 50. Um, You know, that could be potentially there where their value is best had. So that's what I think that um, trading up, I think it's gotta be like their guy. It's gotta be, they have one guy, that they can't go without in this draft and uh, and they want to get up there and get them. And I'm not sure who that is yet. Um, there's a lot of rumors about a lot of different guys. So, um, you know, there's receivers out there. Obviously there's comments here about uh, B. John Robinson in the, in the comments. I think that um, I don't, I don't know necessarily that Bijan's their guy that they're really wanting to move up for um, maybe, but for me, it doesn't really make sense. I think, um, you know, we talk about it a lot. Um, I've talked about it on the Buffalo Blitz uh, with Peter on Tuesday. And, you know, it's like Bijan is definitely a, a, a different talent in this draft. You don't have a, another guy like him maybe in this draft that's like a game breaker. Um, some of these wide receivers are potential for sure. 
and we think they can develop into that. But I'm not, you know, Bijan's kind of like the the sure thing here in this draft for for that kind of game breaker. And, and um, people think, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba is as well. So maybe maybe he is too. But um, you know, Bijan has got the most um, kind of backing as as that as that game breaker kind of guy. So I think um, he might be he might be the target. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of the wrong person to ask because I, I have just such a, a weird, different take on this draft. If, if they're really as comfortable as they and you know, you're coming around 27 and, you know, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame's there or something, you know, I just want, uh, that other option, you know, uh, even if it's a tight end, you know, just give me the best weapon on the board there at 27. Um, hopefully it's a receiver, but you don't know. And, uh, I don't really want to draft a running back um, outside of Sean Tucker at all in this draft. So here's my thing. So like it, the whole thing, I understand how talented B. John Robinson is, but my biggest thing is that like we have a pretty solid back uh, a backfield with you know now the addition of Damian Harris. It's not like James Cook wasn't supposed to be our guy going forward. I mean that's clearly the plan. That's why we didn't bring back Devin Singletary and now he's with the Texans. But then you throw in Naheem Hines who still has playmaking ability we've seen not it's on special teams but imagine if he had more reps on offense so I just don't think that if we're going to move up in the draft it's going to be for a running back I just don't see us needing to well the only times that we've seen guys go in the first round as the running back position has kind of become less and less important are guys like Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry in the same year and it just we're not going to see that I don't think I think if we're really going to trade up it's because there's somebody we either like on the defensive side of the football or somebody, you know, for our offensive line, because that is, again, Brandon Bean said it clearly that as that is our biggest need is to bolster up that offensive line. So uh, let's take let's take a look at this comment montage. Yeah. I kind of wanted to sh- throw this one to Mike first. Um, Mike Roy is a, a weekly contributor here. And I, I love to get to his, some, some of his points. I'm not sure just real quick, Roy, I don't think necessarily moving up for a top 15 pick, but also, Mike, I wanted to give you the floor on this first to give us your thought. Is there any player worth moving up for? Who are they? Who is it? Maybe one or two, or maybe there's three in your mind. I don't know. But let us know what your thoughts are. Uh, no, I don't I don't think there is. So I, I'm not big on the trading up. I'd be fine with trading back uh, if we get some value out of the pick. Uh, if a team's willing to give up something to us for the fact that, you know, they, they want a second, first-round pick, uh, because, you know, you, you look at some of the teams that are really trying to rebuild or really trying to get the value out of it. We can give that pick up, move back, like you said, and have two picks in the second round uh, and and get who we're after. I mean, I don't think that both linebackers that we're after are going to disappear in the first round. And I don't think that we can't get anything as far as the offensive line and the defensive line as far as talent goes. That's where you're going to pick anyways, those guys. So really, it makes more sense to me to, to move back, not up, unless you're really trying to go after some wide receivers. But I just don't think this is the draft to do that. This isn't it's not very deep as far as, you know, you look at, at times past where there was some wide receivers coming right out and making a difference right away, like Jalen Waddle and uh, and Jefferson. Yeah. Yeah. That draft, that was a whole different story. That's some, those are multiple, there was multiple receivers in that draft and that draft that was worth it. I just don't see it here. I think moving back is the, is the move if you're going to make a trade and uh, then you get some more bang for your buck for the positions we're trying to fill and maybe some value out of that pick as well. 
Right. So, Scott, what's so your I like that. Um, well, I mean, like, and I'm glad that we got, we're going to this question next, actually, because this is one, you know, Mike, you started to touch on a little bit. And if you guys are actually just now tuning in, this is the sit down live here on the built of Buffalo networks, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter presented by Duff's famous wings. And of course the audio podcast will be available uh, post this show, but we are live at the moment, Saturday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but starting May 4th, we will be live on Thursday nights. Of course, the same content, same heat, same hosts, same type of entertainment always here in the sit-down. So my uh, montage, we're going to talk about this one next, and, and I'm glad you bring it up because now <laughs> if there's a player that is uh, Joe Thomas in this draft, that is the only way that I'm moving up, right? If you can find me a guy that plays the tackle position like Joe Thomas did for as long as he did without ever missing a game, at the all-pro level that he was every single year, then fine. You give up with, because that right there, you give our guy Josh Allen time. Dude, this yeah. is a different team. We still have a stacked defense, and we still have guys that maybe can play in, you know, Bernard's, uh, t- Tyson Bernard and Bale Inspector and those guys, right? We still have our safety tandem. We still have our defensive backs. We still have Vaughn Miller coming back. We still have our defensive line, right? And it's also – who are you going to get at that, uh, you know, how far do you have to trade up in the first round? So for me, unless there is that guy that you find and you really have a way to get to that path, I'm just trading back like Mike said, because really we've seen it work well for the Bills. The Tredavious white pick is is the best example. I know that the Chiefs get Pat Mahomes, but if Pat Mahomes comes to the Bills in that state that the Bills were in, it's not going to be Pat Mahomes. But we get Tredavious White, our biggest need in that draft, you know, defensive back, right? That was our guy. We decided we could move back, we could get him, and then we got Josh Allen the next year because of it. So if that is the case, we're not moving up for running back, I don't think. I don't know if we're going to move up for a receiver either because do we really need to reach is my opinion on that. I think that we still have guys that can play the position, and we signed guys that came in to either compete or play. So I just think that falling back a little bit, if you're not going to draft at 27, is the most – ideal move and the only one that I could see of any value in this draft because we're not looking for a quarterback we're not looking in my opinion to reach for certain offensive players but Montage what do you think would you trade up or down yeah I don't think that anybody uh, would be worth the capital given up to to go up um, I mean I really like Skaronsky I really do but even that from a lineman's perspective um just that he'd be way too expensive to get all the way up there. And you know, talking probably top 10 at that point for, for him. And, um, and you don't, don't know, know. You don't so- know what his jump and you don't know what his, uh, what his talent level is going to be in the NFL. You know, oh, exactly. Lyman, linemen's are tricky. It's a tricky, it's a tricky thing. Yeah. And the other thing is like, what's that Oliver's value? So like, are we giving up 27 at Oliver and what, or something like that, you know? So it's like, what exactly, that we have to, to kind of give, but then, you know, without creating too big of a hole, you know, since there are maybe D tackles to be had here who could um, come in and know they're not top 10 picks, but that Oliver was a top 10 pick that doesn't necessarily, he kind of fills a role more than, you know, affects the game. And he relies on having a guy like Von Miller next to him to really have that high motor and that high uh, impact on the game. So I think that when you talk about, what are we going to give up to get up there? I don't, if it's just 27 and a, and a player, maybe how high is that going to get us? I don't, I don't, not, not too much uh, more than a few picks in my opinion, but I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of the, the ability to evaluate draft picks and, and their um, value is something that I'm not going to 
going to consider myself an expert on. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you talk to uh, Izzy, who's part of built-in Buffalo, right? And he has a way better nose, it seems, for kind of what the value of these draft picks are. Um, so I like to kind of go and and talk with him a lot on on what the what the draft pick values may be. And I know there's charts and all kinds of things that you can use to to you know figure out the values and and whatnot. But um, it's just not something <laughs> as analytical well, as I can be about the game. That's not something I choose to analyze too often. Truly, what I believe is, like I said earlier, is that it's it's kind of a psychological warfare that exists amongst these GMs. Like, you know, Brandon Bean calling, like, how badly do you want to gain some capital? How badly do you want this player? It's It really is a battle of who, like, in sales, who, you know, the la- the next person to talk, they say, loses. You know what I mean? That is how it works. It's really, we have to appear as if we don't really care to move up, but we might be interested. So we want to make it. Uh, a team might want to make it happen with us just because they found somebody that they can gain that draft capital from, right? There's so much more that goes into it just than what players we need, what um, value we're going to get in return, what draft picks we have available, the money. There is just really a psychological element to this. And I think that Brandon Bean is one of the best GMs that that shows his prowess with it because really, like, remember when we, we first get Antonio Brown and everybody's talking shit, nobody wants to go to Buffalo, and he just goes right to the media like, I'm tired of you guys saying that because none of you guys really know what it's like here, and yeah. this is a place people do want to come, right? He's a tough guy. I mean, that southern accent <laughs> makes him a little bit more intimidating, too, and they call him Big Bar Bean. You know what I mean? He definitely lets him wave around once in a while at the, you know, the, the meetings they have, but that's all I'm saying is that I think it's just going to be about what team gives us a call, maybe. You know what I mean? I don't think that we're going to necessarily be making phone calls to uh, either trade up or trade down. So that's well, my I think, take you know, what. putting that out there, too, for a trade up is classic. Like, yeah, of course he's going to do that because now teams are going to call him potentially and saying, oh, you know, and now he knows who's wanting to trade back potentially from their pick ahead of us. So now, you know, it's all part of that chess match, you say. So I, I love it. I mean, I think you're spot on with that because – he is the master at playing this game and he has, you know, a certain process. And I, you know, I use that word on purpose, I guess, but he has a certain process that he uses through this, uh, through the draft and him and his staff uh, are rigorously sticking to it. It seems like, and they've had this plan since day one, he's kind of rolled this out. And and the cool thing is it doesn't seem like anything that's happening is going to make him waver, you know, um, we got a couple injury concerns, which we're going to get to, but, you know, we got to see how they're going to replace some losses that we, that we have already spoke about as yeah, linebacker and um, offensive line. Obviously we've got weak points there. Uh, defensive tackle. I guess we just did sign Jordan Phillips and I'm not sure. I mean, I, we have um, right now we have Oliver Jones, Phillips and settle still. And I, those four are just fine with me. I don't see, I mean, if there's a guy, you know, Mozzie Smith falls in our lap at 59 or something, then sure. Or, you know, uh, Roy comes in here, you know, we got uh, this kid Ika and there's um, Keanu Benton, a lot of different names that you can go down on, on the defensive tackle side. Um, but I don't think necessarily, uh, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a, a huge need for me on the D tackle side, I guess. So, Here's you the other see, thing too. Fellas. You could see somebody at 27 drop, like Brian Brice from Clemson, right? And then now, if you draw, if you draft a guy like that, now Ed Oliver becomes expendable. Maybe you see we we go from 59 to 45 or something to go get our linebacker with you know if we trade 59 and Ed Oliver, can we get to 45? Maybe. Mm-hmm. 
Here's the other thing, too, is that as much as we focus on round one because it is the highlight of the draft, it's the one that has its own day, you know what I mean, and everybody's all hyped up and with how much time each team gets to make its pick, that gets so so much hype goes into round one, but we forget that there's six other rounds of the draft, right? And you find value for those guys in the draft. I mean, like, look at, we got Matt Milano. I believe he was a fourth round pick. Gabe Davis, fourth round pick. James Cook, second round pick. Like we do find a lot of value in the later rounds. So as much emphasis as we are putting, I'm sure a lot of teams focus on that, that first round pick so much. Right. But I think that Brandon Bean's the kind of guy that addresses what our needs are. And it doesn't matter where we're at. We find the best value. We find our guy and we just take what is really going to be the best, the best decision. We don't reach. I don't see us reaching a lot. I like the way that we draft. Some guys don't necessarily work out, but the way that we address needs, I think is just always done so well. And the way that we don't relinquish capital and the way that we can gain capital is something that is good to see with this regime, because you guys already know what we sacrificed when we got Sammy Watkins. And yes, that obviously goes down to be a stupid, you know, move on draft day because of the other receivers that played better than him in the rookie year. But, but that's the thing is that Brandon Bean takes like calculated risks and he takes them very well. In my opinion, I like the way the bills draft and we still have um, in my opinion, we've got to get it done well in the first round. But if we are going to take a defensive end in round number one, as Roy Collins says here in the comments, <laughs> I just, you know what I mean? Just like it Surprise doesn't matter. Isn't going to be the emotion, right? First two rounds of the draft, Bills are like a minus 300 favorite to draft an edge rusher. You know what I mean? Like it's either Boogie Basham, yeah. Greg Rousseau, Yeah, I don't think that's the need there, Roy. I just don't. <laughs> Roy, I love that you're bringing it. Of course, you guys are live here in the sit-down on the Built in Buffalo Networks Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, sponsored by Duff's Famous Wings. And I am the Buffalo Sauce Guy here with Mafia Montage and special guest Mike Shimberski. And you guys can follow all of us on Twitter at Buffalo Sauce Guy, at Mafia Montage, and at M-I-K-O-L-2531, Mr. Quarterback Sneak. Now, also, before we move on here a little bit, Mike and I have got a little bit of a uh, like some Bills content coming up here, possibly where we're going to have a quarterback pro day, except who's going to be the quarterback? Possibly me, but you might not see me throw the football once, right? So be on the lookout for that. But let's get uh, another question for you because this is something as a quarterback, you can really touch on this a little bit more than us. Any concerns for Josh post-injury and how far did you actually read into the injury he had last season? Uh, so, I, you know, I didn't get too much into the injury itself, but – Anytime, like I had a bad rotator cuff one time, and I think that I it starts to become mental. Uh, like when you get when you get your physical or whatever, and you get told you're fine, you know, uh, by by the doctor, you tend to, you know, you believe them for the most part, but there's still that discomfort in there, especially if you got a surgery done or you've been doing physical therapy. Uh, there's still a mental game that you have to overcome, uh, and that's just like the discomfort of like, yeah, Hey, they fixed you. But at the same time, like it, it might not feel how it felt, you know, before the pre-injury, you know, and it might never feel that way, but you have to learn how to get comfortable with how it feels now, you know, and right. that might be something he's going to have to settle into in the beginning of the season. And hopefully before that though, hopefully he gets enough reps uh, when it comes up to OTAs, hopefully he's there when he doesn't need to be just because he should be. In my opinion, he should be trying to make sure that the elbow, the elbow feels good. Uh, he should be really trying to make sure he gets as many throws in as he possibly can, enough repetition to where he can get comfortable again with that. If, if he got it fixed, 
then great. But you got to work it out and you got to keep throwing that ball, get used to what you are, how you need to throw now uh, post injury, you know? So I think that we saw a difference in him after that injury. I I thought his accuracy suffered a little bit and um, you know, he started to come on again towards the end of the season because I think it mattered and adrenaline kicks in and, you know, you're able to play through what hurts. Your clutch but, factor kind of kicks in yeah, a little bit different. Factor, but, you know, at the end of the day, it just wasn't him anymore, you know, uh, and you could almost see the frustration on his face. He wears his emotions on his sleeve. You could tell the frustration. Well, was Mike, there. I think part of it being in, cause I remember you would actually touch on it a little bit in the tailgate about how, you know, you step into your throws differently. You just aren't really necessarily going through your fundamentals the same way. And you're kind of just like, you're kind of like getting lackadaisical with it as they would say in like baseball, you know what I mean? You're dropping your hands. So right. I you're think all, also yeah, a big part of it. Wing. Exactly. Yeah. A big part right. of it though, has gotta be because he knew he didn't have time from that offensive line. Like that's a big thing. You could see that he just didn't feel comfortable. I don't necessarily think it's too much because of injury. I think if he's ultimately able to still make some of those throws he made, I think it's maybe not necessarily cause for concern, but you know, being an elbow injury too, it, it makes you de- definitely like it raises your eyebrows because you see it in baseball. So, I mean, this is obviously it's football. You're still using your arm the same way, but you know, you don't have any concerns coming into the season. You think he's going to be ready to go elbow fine. I think if there was concerns, there would be whispers and we hear some, like some things chirping uh, that, that leak, you know, nothing in the NFL is a steel trap. Like once rumors start swirling it, everyone knows about it, whether you're trying to keep it in your own camp or not. I think what we'll have to wait for is how he looks on, you know, OTAs and stuff like that and voluntary workouts and see, and see what uh, they all gather from camp, you know, of how he looks. But I think he's done a good job resting it. Uh, He made a smart move, not going to the pro bowl. He went and he just played some golf. And uh, that's the move all day. That's the move. That's the move. And, And he's resting it. You can, you can tell, I mean, he looks healthy. I, we've seen him in a few things. He's been to the Bills organization a couple times. He looks good. He looks ready to play. He looks happy. Uh, I think if you're if you're someone worried about the future, uh, you get you look a little anxious and you look a little you know maybe uncertain, and that just doesn't seem to be his vibe right now. So I think that there's all positive things coming out of out of one Bills drive, and and I think he feels good about his elbow. And if there was concerns and there were things that we should know about, it would have started, the rumors would have started swirling and we'll see what he looks like when they start working out and they start, he starts throwing some footballs against air. Uh, but for the most part, I'm confident. I'm confident. He would have already spoke up at this point. I know he wants to compete. I know he wants to win, but the best thing to do when you can't do that is step aside. And I don't think that he's willing to do that yet because he knows he can contribute. Hey, man, that montage, you got anything to add on to the subject if there's any sort of concerns for Josh even coming from you? My concerns aren't with Josh. It's with that damn offensive line. And I think that kind of puts us into the next um, thing that we wanted to talk about is, you know, kind of what do we need um, to do? Kind of. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. 
Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. To fix what was wrong with the offense last year, and I think that, um, you know, there there was certainly times when the offense clicked and we had uh, no problem putting up points, and then you saw basically after that Green Bay game, right, that that kind of went away. So the concern really for me is, um, getting that offensive line in a place where they can really protect our guy. And, um, you know, one of the things that we wanted to get your take on here, Mike, too, is, you know, what what do we need uh, to fix, you know, some of the woes from last season? Obviously, Josh needed to heal a little bit, like you mentioned. So um, other than Josh healing from that injury, you know, what do you think uh, we can do or, or can be done with the roster or however – um, you know, players needing to to step in and step up. You know, what do you think? I got a couple. I got a couple thoughts on that. I think that uh, they've done some of it. Uh, they they went and they got some pretty decent offensive line to fill in uh, some some gaps here. Uh, also, something that they did when they had Brian Dable that they don't do now with Dorsey uh, is a moving pocket. And and I've mentioned this on a lot of pregame shows. I've talked about it on the tailgate. Um, one thing that they don't do that they used to do, Josh is very mobile. And if you can if you can get the ball in his hands and then have him rolling out already yeah. to the right, uh, you can get more success out of him. He's very successful as it is rolling out. And you get the you get the lineman to roll with him on purpose. You can create what we call a moving pocket. And so then the guy who's rushing all the way to the left, it feels like he's got a mile to run to get to him. So all you can rely on now is the rusher on the other side. And if he can't get through the three blockers that you got that moved over to the right, Josh got all day. He's got all day to throw. And all he did is move like three yards to the right, you know, and he's moving over. He just moved over. That's all he did. But the whole offense moves with him that buys two extra seconds and you got all day to throw Uh, in two in, in football time. That's, that's forever. Two extra seconds is, is everything, you know, some, some of these, some of these offensive linemen, they're trying to just hold on for one, you know, but you've already bought two extra seconds just by moving the whole pocket to the right. And he's very efficient rolling to his right. So if you can get some design plays, get the pocket moving, get him moving, you can create some plays and then maybe they don't rush so hard after that. And then you don't have problem is who's our right tackle. Right. That's, I mean, that's what you got to figure out. I know that's, that's what I'm getting at is like, that's, that's you have to go to the left for a few times and learn how to be ambidextrous. Start learning, learn how to use that left hand. He loves throwing against his body, doesn't he? So I might as well. Oh, he sure does. Yeah. Yeah. All those little biased throws for sure. Here's my biggest thing though. I feel like, I feel like we just didn't ever establish our identity on offense. Like it's like one week we're trying to sort of not establish the run and just throw the football. And then one week we're trying to establish the run. It's just Ken Dorsey. I think again, as a first year play caller just needed some time to kind of figure things out in my opinion, because I've seen it out of great offensive coordinators. I always bring up Brian Dable as an example, because look at the guy he's over there cracking open cold ones at 1132 in the morning and winning coach of the year for crying out loud. Right. But (laughs) I was going to say for Christ's sake, but too much pun intended there. Um, It's just, I think that our woes in montage and I, we say it all the time that it started in that green Bay game, but really, it started 
towards the beginning of the season, it felt like we kind of just would either have a, a, a good start to the first half or, you know, like we'd have a good start to the second half. We were either a first half team or a second half team. Our defense was the only thing that was consistent time in and time out. But that's a defense that's been run by Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier since they got here. So Ken Dorsey, I think, has just got to – he's got to figure it out. One thing that I always – I talk about Lamar Jackson's MVP year in 2019 – is a great example of Greg Roman having a shiny new tool for one year and then not doing anything to evolve the offense afterwards because that that Ravens offense had never been even close to as electric as it was. Even in the great games that Lamar Jackson had, it wasn't like a well-rounded offensive game. It was really just Lamar Jackson. So Ken Dorsey needs to kind of realize as much as you has you have the tool, you have the piece you can build your offense around. You know, you have your LeBron James on the field, basically, right? You still have to find ways to take the ball and get it away from him to get it to the playmakers. You know, Stephon Diggs. I want to see us target Khalil Shakir more. I want to see us targeting Dawson Knox a little bit more. I think that we just need to come out, establish that we're a running football team, and that Josh Allen can just carve you up as soon as that run game is established. Because how do you set up play action, Mike? You know all too well. You run it well on first down, and then you run it well on second down. You keep running until they stop you. But when they can't stop you, you boom, play fake, Josh Allen, touchdown, which he's great in play action, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, you can't say it any better than that. And the other thing that I did want to point out that, that Dorsey needs to fix is, uh, and it, it, I saw it on Good Morning Football, I think, also. Uh, a lot of times those routes that those guys would end in, they're together. They're like bunched, like a huddle almost. So he's got guys ending their routes, and they're all in the same vicinity. And then so when Josh lets it go, who the hell is that ball to? Who do they, they don't even know. They don't even know. They're all like within five yards of each other. Like that, all that does is that's a recipe for someone to think that the ball's to them. So then they jump up, try to catch it, and then they tip it up, and then it's an interception. You know, I think he's got to figure out and be a little more creative and spread it out a little more. I, I get wanting to do certain routes where you got a guy going deep and then cut across, and then you got a guy coming a little bit less and underneath. Uh, now you got two options there, and then, then that corner has to decide. But you have to spread that out a lot farther. These corners in the NFL, they can they can cover a lot more ground than you think. And five yards ain't shit. I mean, it just isn't. Now, how about this one too, fellas? And Montage, I'll go to you first on this. Why not just you know clean up our drop passes? Because a lot of those drop passes would shot us in the foot. Or how about we eliminate plays like Isaiah McKenzie had, where a catch turns into an interception? Right? What do you think? Yeah, and I think that's exactly what we did. Right? We already. Uh, released Isaiah, um, obviously got in two other guys that can kind of um, Sherfield and Hardy can come in and um, hopefully either, you know, split Khalil his Shakir. role or just, you know, try to contribute. And then obviously we're going to see the ascension of Khalil Shakir this year, which I'm oh. fully confident in. I was going to say sauce is huge that, on that guy. He keeps talking about him. I like that's him. why the I'm not – that's the biggest thing why I don't think we should <laughs> trade up for any sort of receiver too is because it's like we got, you know, these guys – I we got to let – some of the guys that we drafted last year come up this year and try to make an impact. The place I don't see that happening is right tackle. Um, I'm all for giving uh, one of these guys a run at linebacker. I just don't think that position is going to matter as much. I think they have really good stud in Milano who can be the the one guy carrying the the linebacking group. And then the other guy, if may, you know, may be able to, I don't know this, but if they think that they can, then give me last year's third round pick. So I don't have to spend this year's draft capital on one if we can, but I don't know. Nobody's confident in that. 
I so. might be crazy, but I'm almost – I would like to see Matejkovic, uh really uh, compete oh, for – Oh, Matejkovic, yeah. Or Matejkovic. Maybe uh, I'm not the greatest. That's the worst player on the team. team. <laughs> yeah, yeah but I, I think that he's a great tackler on special teams, and he's kind of got that hybrid build to him. He can move. He's fast. See what he can do in coverage. I, I don't know. I, I've saw it. I, it was a Steve Tasker for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. Hey, <Yeah>. listen. <laughs> I, and my I'm biggest honestly, thing with uh, the rules, I think, is just going to be uh, Ken Dorsey, I think, puts a lot on Josh Allen. And I'm not even sure that Josh Allen wasn't even just running the offense kind of with just some almost training wheels or just like guardrails on from Dorsey. I, but there were times you could tell like, he was. Yeah, Allen's just, you know, and Dorsey's just trusting everything that Allen says. And it's like, you got to save the player from him. That's your job. You're the coach. To, like, yeah, you got to coach Yeah, <laughs> you've got to filter through what that player has given you to, so give, to give us, give the whole team a, a positive output. Um, and, and a lot of times Josh Allen's just going to make shit work and be really uh, great because that's who he is. That's what he is. That's greatness. He's a great player. And he's got that it factor, but you have got to put the reins on him. You have got to show an identity and and stick to a game plan. You can't just uh, go out there and play hero ball down after down after down. When you figure out that these guys just aren't up to the task of protecting you when you're trying to drop back, you've got to go and do some things where you're shifting, moving the pocket, all those things that you talked about. That has to happen in game adjustments. That can't just be a game plan thing and then when it doesn't work you abandon it or whatever you have to have this stuff and you have to have consistency in what you want to do and if you don't show any consistency in what you want to do then i think you end up actually becoming predictable as ironic as that sounds because then they just know well they're just going to throw it they don't have you know they're not going to try to stick to anything they're just going to you know play hero ball all the time all we have to do is cover for five seconds and we're getting there so you know, and in reality, it's like three and a half, four seconds at most. People are always in Allen's face. And that's, it's just not a sustainable model, I don't think, for playing offense in the NFL. I think, too, just establishing an identity for each player. You know, obviously, Stephon Diggs is wide receiver one. And now James Cook has got to definitely know that he's running back one. And just because we, we saw that kind of, you know, inconsistency with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss and Matt Breida. And then, Last season, a little bit with Devin Singletary, you know, James Cook and Naheem Hines. We just needed to establish some sort of identity there. But I really also think that Gabe Davis was was hobbled by injury quite a bit last season. That's just my take on it. And as a receiver, sometimes when you can't plant your foot as well, I mean, like it kind of just brings some level of uh, uncoordination that can exist that you didn't have before with your hands. You know what I mean? So Gabe Davis, we've seen. He has the playmaking ability and he has the um, exactly what we need to be wide receiver too, right? But a lot of drops last season, a lot of drops coming from a lot of guys. And that's just stuff that we cannot afford, especially if Josh is getting the football there and, you know, a drop pass results in another play that turns into a turnover. That's what we're, that's what I'm talking about. We're shooting ourselves in the foot. I think we have everything that it takes. We just have to bolster up that offensive line better. And we just have got to give Ken Dorsey some time to kind of figure it out because in this league, 
you either figure it out or you get figured out. And and I'm definitely thinking that Ken Dorsey is a guy that is not going to be figured out, especially with a quarterback like Josh Allen, where you can be so versatile and do so many things and you're just not, not limited, right? But find what is it that works for you because Kansas City is a really great model. They have continuous evolved play at the quarterback position. They've had woes as well. There was that time, I think two seasons ago, where they had a couple games where offensively they weren't doing it and everybody counted them out. And then what happens? They go back to being the Chiefs. It's just getting back in your rhythm, you know, and being healthy, having ability and having time to make your decisions and go through the motions because it's important. So uh, if you guys are just now tuning in, we are live here on the sit down presented by Duff's Famous Wings on the Build Over Network's Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. The audio version of this podcast is available post-show as well. Here myself with my co-host, Mafia Montage, and Mike Shimberski as special guest. So, Montage, let's move on to our next question here. Anything in the comments you want to highlight before we move on? No, I think we got through most of the comments. So I just asked you guys, keep the comments flowing. Uh, let's hear what you have to say, what you think. I think uh, we appreciate what you've given us so far, but uh, keep it coming. Um, the next thing I see on our list here, um, do you think this is a make-or-break year for McDermott. So Sauce God, what do you got for us on this one? Well, I'm glad that Mike actually brought it up before we went live and wanted to actually talk about this because it is something as much as I love McDermott, you have to take a look because we have come so close, right? These last three years, I think that we have honestly expected to maybe be in the Super Bowl with the way that we've played, right? But we're just right there, right? But a couple of key decisions maybe that you could put on McDermott uh, could have been avoided with a different head coach, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily a make or break year. I think that it's not. I think if we don't get to the Super Bowl this year, it's going to start to kind of – we're going to start to look a little bit. But then again, we're making the playoffs and we're winning the AFC East, and we are at least being uh, competitive every single year and in contention, in my opinion, right? And we've been just that close where a couple of things, like the 13 seconds, I mean, it just – I think that McDermott has instilled something that you necessarily don't want to just get rid of because consistency is key in the NFL. As much as, you know, some coaches come in and suck, you really want to give them at least four years to see their plan come to fruition. And one year, not enough, two years, not enough, but McDermott's going to be going into what year six now, fellas. Um, and honestly, or is this year seven? I think, but honestly, he's, he's just put us in position where we have to be grateful for everything we've had. But then again, from the other perspective, yeah, this isn't a charity business. This is a business where we want to win Super Bowls. So, Mike, I'll let you take this one next from us. No, no, you actually you bring up the conundrum of this question. The question is so hard. Uh, you got to understand too. If you say you're like you're the owner of this franchise, you know you want a Super Bowl so bad, and this is the guy that's gotten you as close as you, he could possibly can at this point, other than Marv Levy, which was decades ago. You know. Uh, you, so you're thinking to yourself, do I hold on to this guy? Cause he creates a great culture. The, the guys play for him. There's continuity there. There's, you know, they respect him. All the players want to want to be a part of this team. And he, again, like I said, creates a culture. It's almost like you, you can't get rid of it now because what else is out there? And if you do that, you're going to take a chance. And if you do do that, then you're admitting that you failed and that you're going to have to rebuild at this point. You get rid of him. That's the cornerstone of what this is all built on. 
and you get rid of him and you bring a new guy in, you think that guys like Stefan Diggs, Von Miller, and, and all of those guys with names are going to respect a brand new guy. Like they're They're going to want to run the show because they, they've been here. They've been putting in the work. They've been doing everything to get to this point. And I think they're not going to listen to anybody else besides Sean McDermott. So until you're ready to rebuild, you hang on to this guy until then. Do I think it's a make or break year? I think that they're trying to see where the flaw is in the team. Leslie Frazier's taking a break. They're allowing Sean McDermott to not hire a defensive coordinator and call his own plays. He's putting, he's gambling on himself. And I respect that a lot mm-hmm. because he's putting a lot of chips in his own, in his own basket or a lot of eggs in his own basket, hoping it's going to all work out. Easter he's, weekend. He's, He's betting him on himself. Yeah, exactly. Easter weekend, he's putting all of his eggs in his own basket and praying that this is the year. Because if it is, he's going to go down in history as one of the best coaches in the league. And if it doesn't, well, then there's going to be a lot of questions afterwards. I think in in Montage answer this question. Yeah, go ahead. No, Montage, go ahead. Take this one, actually. Before I answer the question, I almost ask another question in my mind of like, is it really a make or break year for McDermott or is it a make or break year for Brandon Bean? Because Brandon Bean's putting the roster together. That's, you know, if you think about the responsibilities. Oh, yeah, for sure. They definitely have conversations and it's all, you know, this is a a complete team effort. But, But at the end of the day, you know, the way McDermott has operated a little bit, um, is that you've seen some of these kind of scapegoat esque moves, right? Where uh, let's try to get rid of this guy or that guy, improve this position, that position, and see you know where the fault lies. And I'm I'm wondering if okay, well we picked so many. You know the joke is you know we're going to draft another defensive end um, in the round, and it's like well maybe because these guys just keep missing on the, on, you know, they two in a row and that's just, it's a lot to, to spend. Do you, you, you think they missed on Rousseau? No, I don't think they missed on him, but I mean, I'm not sure he's necessarily, I mean, this is the year, right? So this is going to be his year, but then it's also Boogie Basham having to come up and have a big year too. Um, what's AJ Apinesa is, well, this is literally his. This is his last. I think this is his last year under contract. So there's all these guys are like all pretty good role players. And I get with the ro- rotation that we do on the line on defense, especially that you that you can do this. But at the same rate, it's like we haven't drafted a Von Miller. We haven't draft. We did get Matt Milano, and he is a, a stud. I love him. We have Trey White. He is a stud. Hopefully, he can come back and. um Obviously, you see his jersey hanging behind me because I really like him. I like Gabe Davis. You see his jersey behind me. So it's like these guys are players that I think are legit NFL talents and they can do something. But, you know, now we've got to use them in the right way. And that does come down to coaching. The thing is, it's not on McDermott, though. It's on our offensive play caller, which we lost to no you know, fault of our own. It's just our guy was so good that he moved on and got a head coaching job. And we may see now, was it the biggest mistake hanging on to McDermott and letting him go versus promoting, you know, 
Dable even potentially and going with a head coach that's offensive minded. I'm not saying they should have done that. I'm just saying we can potentially after this year and and moving forward, we're going to start asking ourselves those kinds of questions because uh, ultimately I think a lot of the frustration is the defensive mindedness from the top down. And, you know, we, we need to protect our quarterback. We need to surround him with the weapons that, you know, can make the plays. And as you alluded to before is, you know, people are dropping balls. Like you can't coach that out of it. You have to catch the ball or you can't be on this team. And that's basically it. So for me, I don't think there's a ton of things, you know, the, the 13 second thing, man, you know, listening to um, Levi Wallace on other podcasts since it happened, I think, you know, he's pretty much owned that. There seems to be the thing I will put on McDermott is there was just a lot of miscommunication in the pivotal spot at the end of that game and multiple different things with the kickoff and this and that you hear about. So it's like, why wasn't the communication buttoned up? That is McDermott's responsibility to have a line of communication and make sure all of the things come from the top down to the field and get the, players in the right spot to do their job. Yeah, I think, and also too, I'm glad that we kind of touched on Brandon Bean. Is it a make or break year for him? Because montage, I think that when we drafted Greg Roussel, we knew that he was going to be a a raw talent, similar to what we saw from Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, the guy didn't play defensive end until I don't even know, like he didn't play that his entire career. Right. But he also took a year off because of COVID and then we draft him. And he's kind of coming up a little bit. But now that he's had Vaughn Miller next to him, his play has elevated. I think that his play will only uh, grow with Vaughn Miller on the football field next to him and some continuity on the defensive line. But I think that if we're talking, fellas, make a break here for Sean McDermott. Like you said, Mike, he's gambling on himself. And I think that when he has taken over, we've seen it happen before. He's taken over the defensive play calling. This defense has started to change a little bit. And you know what? Maybe. That was really the one thing that was a woe that needed to uh, go for Sean McDermott to really operate this team the way that he sees fit, right? So I think it's not really this year. Again, if we don't win the Super Bowl this year or get to the Super Bowl this year, I think that that's when the question will start to be asked. And I'm not necessarily sure it would be answered, but of course it will be asked. So if you guys are just now tuning in your live here on the sit down, make sure to hit that like and share button, subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. This is on the built in Buffalo networks, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter in partnership with PLB sports, Picasso's pizza, ticket IQ, Wester, and of course Duff's famous wings. Now Roy Collins coming in with a comment montage. Take this one. Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying is like, that all these defensive ends that have been drafted, they've been drafted by Bean, you know, and I get it. Everyone's talked and everyone's had input, but these are three guys you've spent premium assets on that aren't necessarily game wreckers in their own, like by themselves, they need other players around them to make them successful, you know, but you see the Aaron Donalds of the world and those kind of players. And I get, they don't grow on trees. Not everyone's going to have them. But it's like it would be cool, you know. I guess we did get the one in Josh Allen. You know, we got that one right. Who is the ultimate different difference maker because he touches the ball every play on offense. So he absolutely gives you the best chance to succeed offensively. But also, you have to have, like I said before, you know, Dorsey has to come up and, and get these guys in the right positions. He's got to be able to see something that Josh might not and be able to communicate effectively with Josh so that Josh isn't just doing his own thing the whole game without, you know, it, it just, I, it's unorganized at some points and it just seems like they're just too reliant on his special ability to make something out of nothing to 
too many times in one game. I think you you want to have that special ability, you know, five or six different key plays during the game. You want to see that and everything. But but I think, you know, other outside of that, you can't have, like I said before, hero ball every single play. Amen to that. So we have a few more questions. Actually, I think we have one more question before we actually move on to our segments here. Of course, it is Easter weekend. Are all you guys out there celebrating? Make sure to be responsible, be safe, and enjoy yourselves very much this weekend. But let's just take a look at this one. This is a question asked by Built and Bowyer. And my montage, I'll ask you, I'll ask you first, then Mike, will you let us know what you think as well? Because this is an intriguing one. Do you guys think that Josh Allen could make the cut at the Masters? Man, after I watched his um, outing with Mahomes there at the match, uh, I, I doubt it. But I he I thought he was a lot better. Um, I thought he was a lot better at golf than he showed uh, when he played during the match. But I get, you know, he was also against two of the most cerebral people uh, that exist on this world with Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Um, and then, you know, next to Patrick Mahomes, who didn't seem to have too much issue on that show. He seemed to be kind of carrying the team. But, but Allen seemed to struggle quite a bit. So, yeah, I think... If uh, you play, maybe if they played in today's conditions where it was just raining the whole time and you saw a lot of these guys faltering and shooting, you know, one under, maybe his plus eight wouldn't be so bad. But, you know, I think in the uh, in the normal conditions where guys are shooting eight under his plus eight would look a lot worse. Mike, what do you think? No, I'm going to go with no. I think I think everyone needs a good hype man. And that's what Mahomes had was Josh Allen being the hype man. He was the one going back and forth with Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, you know, giving him He was the biggest jokester. Yeah, he was the biggest jokester, giving him all the business and then letting Patrick Mahomes carry the team. I mean, listen, if you ain't going to be good, be mouthy, you know. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, he was the best one out there in style, too. He had the best (laughs) cart, best set of clubs, all that, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he was crushing brews the right way. You know, Pat Mahomes had his cores lighting on, but, you know, he's crushing them the right way. And, and so, you, of course, and Mike, this is one that we do every single week here in the sit down. It's called Bada Bing, Bada Boom. The good things that we've seen from this week in the world of sports. And I'll start us off. Tiger Woods today had a little favorite toss his way from none other than JT Justin Thomas, who bogeyed back to back holes to make sure that he was also at plus three to make sure that Tiger Woods would make his 20. Third, I believe, no, 24th or no, 23rd consecutive cut at the Masters as a professional, which, wow, I think the golf truly needed that. Montage, what do you got for the best in the world of sports this week? Uh, it's always a good week when uh, when you can watch, you know, a lot of different sports. And right now the Sabres uh, in Buffalo are have been a great story. Uh, still clawing, not giving up. They come up with Devin Levi. I went to Devin Levi's first game in Buffalo. Um, it was absolutely raucous when he came out, they gave him his lap. We were all yelling and screaming. Um, I yelled at an old lady behind me cause she told me I couldn't use her row anymore. And there was a lot of, you know, amped up energy in that place. But, uh, no, I think that it's, it's so cool to see, you know, multiple sports teams around the area and just New York in general. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm an. Knicks fan, even though I don't watch the NBA a ton, I'm a Yankees fan, um, and and they're looking pretty sharp so far. If uh, we can get a couple more things to to click, and um, you know, I just think that the the New York sports scene and and the Buffalo sports scene more specifically, um, as as we are built in Buffalo here, um, the Sabers being so close, um, even though they're they're kind of like they sh- their over under was 75 games and or 75 points and they've got 83 or 85 now so uh just really incredible um 
performance so far this season and, and especially to end the season, bringing in Devin Levi and he's uh, looked amazing. Mike, what do you think? Uh, the best thing you've seen in the world of sports. Yeah. I was hoping he didn't take it. He was starting to go on a rant there. Uh, uh, I was going New York Yankees. Uh, I like, I like the direction that they're headed. Uh, one of my favorite things was uh, the first pitch for Aaron judge on his first hit of the season to start the season home run. <laughs> home run. You gotta love pitch. that. Get it out of here. <laughs> Especially the first good. one is captain too. Yeah, first one is captain. Oh man, you can't you can't write that stuff. You can't make it up. Uh, he cranked it out of there on and on a blowout win. Uh, they they did great. Uh, and I agree with Montage. If they could get some little things together here, uh, they got a good team this season, and I I, I loved watching that. Well, the next segment here we have in the sit-down is called Forget About It. It's the ugly things we've seen in the world of sports. So I'm going to start it off. Anybody that has favored the uh, any of the other three teams in the AFC East to win the division, uh, every single one of you can go fuck off and forget about it because the Bills are going to claim it again and again and again and again and again, and I don't give a shit at what none of you say. So, yeah, that's making me say forget about it. Montage, what do you got? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, my forget about it was, you know, having to watch these guys trudge through the rain rain and everything at Augusta. I mean, I would have liked to see them, um, especially today, and especially for my uh, my wagers on the damn match, uh, would have been a lot better had they not made those guys trudge out for the third round um, through all that rain. And, um, you know, I'd, I see Tiger Woods kind of limping through. Uh, you know, he was limping through his second round and then, you know, even more, see all these guys bundled up. Uh, you know, playing in winter hats and all that at Augusta. So I say forget about it when I see that. Mike, so, what do you got for us? Yeah, I'll just say I might uh, I might end up being wrong on this whole thing, uh, but I'm going to go AFC East also, and I'm going to talk about the Jets acquiring Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I know there's a lot of rumors going on. They keep saying they're this close to a deal. They're going out there putting the red carpet out for the guy. I don't think he's coming. Forget about it. I don't think he's Hey, coming. man, I like that, Mike. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Now let's move on to our next segment, the final one of this show, uh, presented by Duff's Famous Wings here on the sit-down, built above our network's Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter is a little thing we call Getting Soft. Hilton Buffalo's got all sorts of content coming from East Coast, West Coast, North, South, and I'll tell you, longitude, latitude, doesn't matter. You got the sit-down. You got the Bills Chat Podcast. You got the Buffalo Blitz. You got the Red Zone. You got Mike with the QB Sneak. You got T with Not Your Average Podcast, the Witty Not Funny Podcast. And everybody also knows that breaking tables likes to get rough and rowdy. I'll tell you what, whether you like professionalism, whether you like maniacism, it's all here available on the Built in Buffalo Network's Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, TikTok for all you quick, short video loving efforts. And of course, it's Easter weekend here in the sit down. And that's me telling you guys that Built in Buffalo is the place for all of your bills, content, and news and up to dates with anything rumor-wise or anything going down with your beloved one and only One Bills Drive, Buffalo Bills. Bills Mafia, we love you very much. Join us here next Saturday night. I want to thank my co-host, Mafia Montage, and, of course, our special guest, Mike Shimberski, who is the host of the quarterback sneak. Check him out, guys, sometimes. So see you next Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here in the sit-down.